0: There's this idea of resistance to change. And resistance to change isn't always necessarily a negative thing. There's this idea of ambivalence to change, ambivalence meaning just not understanding it. And I think really being aware of that early on, and I think as change leaders, that's where we can really help other organizations navigate that. That, That's a blind spot for a lot of organizations as they're trying to implement change in an ERP.
1: This is the ERP Organizational Change Journal podcast, brought to you by Nestle & Associates, a Newport Beach, California-based ERP organizational change management firm serving the private equity industry. The ERP OCJ seeks to share expertise, insight, experience, and research, and to create effective conversation to help guide ERP organizational change to real, measurable, and verified success. And now, here's your ERP expert and host, the founder of Nestle & Associates, Dr. Jack Nestle.
2: Hi everyone, Jack here. In this episode, we discuss the dynamics of organizational transformation. With insights from a seasoned expert at a premier leadership development firm, we explore tactics to boost high-performing teams and strategies for strategic alignment learn how to cultivate a customer-centric culture and energize your innovation funnel, bringing unparalleled value to stakeholders in ERP organizational change across private equity portfolio companies. Joining us today is Margaret Gorman. Margaret is an accomplished executive from a globally recognized organizational culture, change and leadership development firm, Denison Consulting. With a solid track record in various sectors, including financial services, energy, healthcare, and more, she has helped over 10,000 clients around the world, navigate complex organizational change. Renowned for her proficiency in organizational development, leadership development, change management, strategic planning, and corporate branding, she is the driving force behind numerous successful transformations. Joining us from Wilmington, North Carolina, Megs, welcome to the show.
0: Hey, thanks, Jack. I'm very excited to be here today.
2: And we are uh, so pleased to have you and really looking forward to sharing out your expertise and insight to our listeners. But before we get started, can you share more about yourself, uh, further introduce yourself to our listeners, please?
0: Yeah, Jack, I'm happy to happy to do that. I think you and I were talking a little bit before the podcast began. We have a, a commonality of upstate New York, Skinny Alice, the Finger Lakes region. So that's where my career started back in the nineteen eighties. I was working with a family owned and operated firm. They were in their third generation. And they were going through a massive scale up opportunity uh with that. So they had doubled in size. They were a mid size organization and they had multiple business lines and it was just a lot of fun uh, playing around. They had me doing a little bit of everything. I don't think I had the language or lexicon that I do today, but a lot of what I was doing with this family organization was around, you know, strategic alignment, building leadership capabilities, helping them think through ways around organizational efficiency, effectiveness, etc. But one of the books that the uh, owner of the company had handed me at the time was the Peters and Waterman book on In Search of Excellence. And uh, he, he wanted to be one of those excellent companies. And And I think with that book, it really began, you know, one of my curious questions throughout my entire career has been, you know, what is it about certain organizations that are able to innovate, uh, you know, continuously innovate and have it be sustainable, you know, over time, especially with different Market dynamics, et cetera, that's going on. And so that theme has stayed with me throughout my career. I then spent uh, 20 years with a group in Washington, D.C. It was connected with George Washington University. And it was a really neat place to be for a whole bunch of reasons. So this was in 1990 uh, through mid 2000s because we had a group of executives that were coming in one weekend a month um, and we were training them and having conversations with them around messy puzzles they had in their organizations around you know change complexity leadership culture we also had a consulting arm and a research arm and so we were doing a lot of short and long term projects with a variety of organizations in the financial services industry healthcare industry The world bank the state department and so there's a lot of cool stories that as we get into uh more our conversation jack i'll i'll refer back to you know some of this stuff especially the 1990s for me was a really interesting time because of all the deregulations and what, in particular, like what was going on in the energy sector and the financial sector, uh, financial services sector. Um, I then joined uh, another group that was based out of Boston and kind of a similar thing, doing some teaching, consulting, and research. And then two years ago, I joined up with Dan Dennison and his group. Um, I had known Dan for thirty years. He used to come in to um, our group at George Washington University once. Once a year, because you know he's the org culture uh, guru, um, and so we'd have him come in, and so and often our executives would go on to do projects with him. So I began talking with Dan uh, back in 2019. In the and the question at that time, I was co-editing a book that's going to be coming out this year: Management Consulting in the Era of the Digital Organization, and really, what what are ways in which our practice, our approach to organizational change strategy culture leadership how is that shifting in the digital age and so uh interesting the uh, folks that were writing chapters uh their first round they didn't really say a lot and then uh you know there are a few interesting things going on like ai digitalization uh then the global pandemic hit so we sent a lot of the chapter authors back to the board and uh we've stalled the publishing of it and we're coming back out because boy these last 2 years of uh, really now 3 years have just really turned a lot of the world upside down so yeah and, you know i started asking dan you know those questions too you know his organization the denison consulting 25 years they've been in business so i wanted to know what was his succession plan what's his digitalization you know what's his legacy and how does he also see organizational culture shifting or how we look or approach it in today's digital age so That was probably a longer winded response than you wanted, Jack, but uh, just part of my pathway and part of my stories. But I think all along, again, my curious question is around, you know, this innovation, innovative uh, capabilities of an organization, why some change and, and why some don't.
2: No, that is great. Thank you very much for that. And with your extensive knowledge and expertise in organizational development and leadership development and change management, I'm confident that this conversation will be incredibly valuable for our listeners for sure. And in fact, Dr. Dennison, uh, as you had mentioned, Megs, uh, the founder of Dennison Consulting, was one of our first guests on this podcast, and he is a friend and a mentor, and I'm a big fan of his work. So, really looking forward to this conversation. Listeners, all of us here at the ERP OCJ hope you find this podcast useful as we share lessons learned, discover best practices, and explore the human element components of ERP organizational change. Please stay with us till the end. Megs will give us her actionable golden nugget of advice based on today's conversation, and I'll recap today's key discoveries and offer my suggestions on how to implement what we've learned. Our conversations are built around the listen and learn approach. It's when you apply what you've learned that you begin to move the needle forward. So let's dive in, Megs. Before we get started, how do you define organizational culture? Let's start out with that question.
0: Yeah, no, thanks, Jack, um, for that question. And that's—it's it, often a—it's a convoluted and complex answer. I can be super academic um, or try and be super practical, and maybe I'll give you a, give you a little bit of both. Uh, Edgar Schein and you know even Dan Dennison, kind of in that line of school, you know, culture is this collective way that we get our work done, you know, in organizations. And culture tends to be a little more stable than some of the temporal natures of organizations, like climate might be, you know, a little more change, but it's really those underlining assumptions, habits, or patterns or the way we go about, you know, making decisions, reinforcing behaviors that we want, setting norms, you know, how we design and reinforce what we want and how we want to go about our business. So hopefully I found a good middle ground of the academic and the practical with that.
2: That's good. Thank you. So, so that's the definition of organizational culture. But why does organizational culture even matter in large scale organizational change? And, and how do we know?
0: Yeah, that's again great question, Jack. And you know, and as as you know, and I know in your conversations with Dan, you know, we know often seventy uh, percent of organizational change efforts fail. Uh, they may have some uh, initial success early on, but eventually they fail, and it's usually the sustainability element of it. And one of the reasons why it fails is often the complexity of what culture has. You know they say there are four levels in an organization you know you can change out a mission and strategy pretty quick you can come up with a new one in three to six months maybe even some goals and priorities you might be able to redesign an organization you know in eight to twelve months but an organization culture it takes years there's research that has shown sustainable organizational culture takes seven years for it. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't incremental changes along the way, but I think often when we are designing these change efforts, we're not thinking through a full systems approach to that. Along with the strategies, what are the other underlining systems that we want to have in place? And I can give you an example of this. Back in the 1990s, we were doing some work with Time Warner. Uh, Time was the chief HR individual, was in our executive program. They were very interested in moving to a team-oriented organization, and they're all about teams, 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 and they spent a lot of money. They did a lot of training. They developed a new strategy. They integrated that language into their mission, into their vision. They did an org redesign. And what they found, and they even they thought through some of the HR implications and HR system stuff. But what they eventually found was, after three years, even though they created teams, they moved back to their traditional hierarchical organization. And so, what hadn't moved in some of those places was thinking through. And this is going to some of these are still you know job descriptions, how we reward people. So the reward systems were still back at the individual level. The way the roles were designed, they still had individual level roles. And so while they, they were espousing and hoping to move towards team, you know, the culture of the organization was still the hierarchical culture. And it takes a lot to get over that. So that that's one, one example why culture uh, can get in the way, but oh, uh, is an important consideration.
2: Yeah. And thank you for that example. That was a great example. And, you know, so as you had mentioned, Megs, there's the significant large scale organizational change often fails due to the complexities that I think uh, often aren't accounted for. And as a result, that change is not sustainable. And you'd mentioned there in your response to the previous question, this idea of strategies, and you also mentioned teams. So let me ask you this. What are your strategies for boosting high performing teams to accelerate teamwork in the workplace? Can you share any in in, in terms of boosting high performing teams specifically, what would that strategy look like or strategies in order to do that?
0: Yeah, um, Jack, you're getting out, you're going right right after the meat of a lot of this stuff. You know, I think in this case, especially in today's VUCA world, you know, volatile and certain, complex, ambiguous, you know, one of the ways that we can get efficient and efficient effective around our work is around collaborating and, and working and operating, you know, in teams. And so the idea of teams certainly isn't a new concept, but ways in which to boost so that they can be high performing. So there are several things that you want to take into consideration. One is the composition of the team, not only looking, you know, functionally, but looking at experiences, background, divergent perspectives, and even thinking through some of the norms ahead of time for these teams. Consensus building is an important thing for teams, but also this idea of having divergent perspectives. We're hearing a lot today about this notion of psychological safety. And so what does that mean? So a high-performing team, if you want to boost it, you want to create space for voice, for people to bring up uh, alternative perspectives. So some specific suggestions that I'll give when I'm working with organizations who want to have high-performing teams is I'll tell them to be very intentional how they create roles and that when they're giving a team an assignment that they really should, they should identify a divergent perspective. Have somebody play that role. Have somebody be constantly checking to say, you know, bringing up the blind spots, And taking the alternative view, and look, this is a hard role to play. But if you call it out as a specific role, it also makes playing that role a little bit safer in organizations. You can also have the consensus builder, the one to bring, but but coming to consensus too quick is too hard. So finding a good lane of. Having a coherent way that the group works, but also having divergence in there. So if there were one nugget that I would say to boost high-performing teams is building out norms that allow for you know, learning from failure, um, smart risk-taking, and building out roles to um, encourage divergent perspectives and finding blind spots.
2: So when you, um, you know, when you often, when when people talk about culture, in, in addition, you know, when you talk about boosting high-performing teams, it seems to me that the conversation can often be a bit ambiguous, invisible, maybe even abstract and subjective, uh, especially when you talk about this idea of, of culture, right? But you just shared this idea of building out norms and understanding what those norms are. But how do you actually measure the effectiveness of these strategies when it comes to boosting high performing teams? I mean, what's that proof in the pudding? How, how do you know how, how do you take something that can often be a little bit subjective and abstract and just make it you know something a little more concrete that you can bite your teeth into? How would I know as a CEO of an organization that I'm actually improving the the performance of of my teams? What does that look like? and what's the tools and tactics to gauge and, and uh, measure that success?
0: Yeah. And I have, um, thanks, Jack. I didn't, you know, I didn't really cover, you know, the other part, you know, when you're bringing groups or teams together, you want to have an output. And so really identifying and being very clear what that output of the team is and having, you know, some tentative milestones Those are really important to set up ahead of time. So you're tracking progress along the way. And so that's another set of norms to build in and having, you know, almost a regular, um, you know, it's both a a game plan, but it's almost, uh, I, I love sports. It's almost like each quarter you should have some sort of you know report yeah. on where's the score, where are we at? Mm-hmm. And knowing that you know the progress is going to be just like in football, you're going up and down a field a little bit, there's going to be forward and backward. But it's really important to have some of those milestones and goalposts that are set up. I think the other piece that is important for measuring is identifying up front as you're pulling together these groups you know asking whether it's you know the CEO this the C suite you know or the teams themselves what will this look like how will we know we have an impact and i think that critical question isn't often asked usually organizations are very focused on the task let's get this task done let's launch a new product you know in the next 6 months that we can bring to market they haven't thought through their metrics for success. So establishing those and building that in upfront. So instead of just launching a new product in six months, it's, hey, one year from now, we're going to have increased our market share in selling trees, you know, by 10%. And then knowing if, you know, a team and accomplishing their tasks delivered that output measure. And so that's, you know, Connecting to the business metrics and identifying those up front early on, you know, I can't stress that enough, um, but it also is something that is not thought of. Organizations um, and business leaders are often thinking through yeah. what are the, breaking down the task and having a project management plan and haven't thought through, hey, is this going to impact our sales growth, you know, market to book ratio, our EBITDA, exactly. you know, our conversion rates. They just haven't come up with those yet. Yeah.
2: Well. You know, one of the things that we often talk about on our projects with our clients is this idea of clarity and alignment within the teams. And, you know, obviously one, I, I guess, area of boosting high performance teams is to make sure you're, make sure that you are aligned, right? I mean, like you said, you, you know, what are the metrics? Uh, how do we measure success? What does that look like? But how do you approach strengthening clarity and alignment within an organization to better execute on strategy. Is there any insight or tips there that you can share with our listeners?
0: Yeah, Jack, that's, that's really interesting. And, um, you know, some of that is walking the talk and understanding the language. So you can hear uh, senior teams, you know, yeah, we're, we're very clear. We know where we need to go. We we're embracing this growth strategy. And we know the growth strategy has four prongs, you know, I'll meet with a, a C-suite group, and they'll all say it, and they'll all know it. Even in one-on-one interviews and collectively, they can recite the pillars of the growth strategy. I, I think what we've, we're seeing with some of the clients that we're working with is the ability of that business leader to understand how that translate to what's happening in their business unit what what does that mean so if we're going to you know have a particular growth strategy we're going to move to a subscription model that it sound it's a it's a lofty yeah everyone can say it knows what it is but what does that really mean to how we go about doing our work how we service our customers you know how we go you know after the market how we work with existing clients how do we build out new business so I think the alignment piece it's, it is moves into this understanding and then connecting or bridging to the way we go about our work. And that's that's the harder work that I don't see some business leaders or some executive teams doing.
2: Yeah, interesting. What about, I want to, just while I'm thinking about it, this idea of cultivating a customer-centric culture, whether it's internal or external customers. And, you know, this is an idea that we talk about quite a bit as well. You know, when you're going through large-scale ERP organizational change, at the end of the day, it's about your customers. It's about your internal end users and customers, as well as your external customers. Um, And we also talk about this idea of celebrating team members. So I I guess in your experience, what are the key elements in cultivating a customer centric culture and how does this tie in with celebrating every team member?
0: Does that question make sense? No, it definitely does. I think one of the things that we're seeing with some of our clients is almost like redefining how we're understanding culture or a customer, you know, and even this language of, you know, ecosystem. So we, you know, we, for a while, we were talking about, you know, we have a network of customers and we have internal and external, which you hit upon, Mm -hmm. but really looking at, you know, this, this ecosystem. So it's outside in and inside out. So it's that, you know, iterative exchange. You know, again, a lot of companies have their own customer-centric models that, that they work with and are able to articulate in their organization, you know, whether that's creating a unique customer journey, that's one we hear a lot from, you know, understanding the customer needs knowing the experience and measuring your performance as you're connecting to your customer and then always celebrating. And you brought up this idea of celebrating. It's it's kind of like, where does that celebration occur? And I, you know, I'll say even, even in our own firm, we do weekly town halls on Thursdays and the first part of it, we do appreciations and we're talking customer stories. I, I tell you what we're not doing. We're not sharing our customer stories, success stories back out to the customer either so we might have a team member that will share that and say, oh, you know, I got an email, you know, we pulled off XYZ project and it was really neat and impactful for them and, and sharing it out. You know, my question's always, so what have you done? Have you gone back to that customer, you know, and are there other customers that you connect and and share that success story with? And so even this idea of team, like who is the team, you know, because really a lot of the work you know, that we all are in right now is this, it's an advisory work, especially, you know, the the ERP space and even in private equity, like really talk about a complex system. The customer relations are multi-directional. And so celebration needs to be occurring inside out, outside in and across um, with that. And, And I don't know that we're doing a great job with some of that.
2: Can you uh, put you on the spot here? Can you share an example with our listeners, uh, perhaps, of a company that has successfully kind of improved their customer-centric culture and, and and this idea of celebrating team members and the impact that they had on the organization? Is there anything off the top of your head that, that you can share?
0: You know, there's a couple of customers that we've had that have paid a lot of attention and are very intentional around this. But, you know, I'll bring up one that isn't a customer client of ours, but, you know, their company that I certainly admire and I certainly track a lot is Archetype. And they have, uh, they're based in Philly and they have a portfolio of companies that they work with and they just have a really cool design, you know, the way in which they have, you know, an advisory board that oversees their portfolio of organizations that they have. They have a lot of collaboration that goes on in in amongst the companies that they have within their portfolio, and they have different ways of connecting key talents, key stakeholders in and across. And so you're always seeing them celebrating, you know, they're pretty active on LinkedIn. They're often sharing, you know, events and activities where they're really working hard to celebrate that. Collaborative success within and across. So, archetype is 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 one particular group that I'm just really impressed with with what they do. Um, like I said, we got to know them, get to know them back in 2021. Um, spent some time with several of their team, and and they're just a really cool organization.
2: So it sounds like Megs that in that case, and and I think the key is. Just having that knowledge of these cultural attributes and their impact on organizational performance. But then, as you said, being intentional, you know, being intentional with that knowledge and then taking that and being tactical. You know, how how do you I mean, from a tactical level, you know, it's one thing to have the knowledge and then being intentional and deliberate about saying, hey, you know, we we understand the value of organizational culture and its impact on organizational performance. But now, how do we do that? How do we get down to the brass tacks and take action and move that needle? And it sounds to me like they've been successful in that area.
0: Yeah. Um, And they're really right up front, even, you know, when we were in conversations with them, just looking at ways we might even collaborate with them. Right up front also with the cultural piece. So not only do they want companies in their portfolio, but they want companies that like there that there's this overall cultural ecosystem within and amongst yeah. uh their companies. And I just I thought that was really cool. They themselves put that right up front, along with the business opportunity and financial opportunities.
2: You know, Megs, you, you mentioned in your previous question there, I, I think probably three times this idea of collaboration. So let me let me ask you a question there. You know, one of the things that we talk about a lot, too, when you go through a large-scale ERP organizational change, it really takes a great deal of creativity and innovation. And I think that, you know, kind of creativity and innovation go hand-in-hand in hand with collaboration. So can you discuss with our listeners and, and maybe share your approach to energizing the innovation funnel and fostering collaborative practices within an organization? What would you say about that?
0: Yeah. And then I'm going to bring up you know, the role of artificial intelligence and what that can do to you know, help us. Again, for most executives, artificial intelligence is already a part of our everyday life and, and what we do. But I've just really been enthralled with ways in which organizations are leveraging that. It's, you know, like a a personal assistant, because I think the idea of creating flexible teams that collaborate effectively both internally and externally with different partners is real important and it's a shift, it's a mindset shift. We often are thinking about collaborating within our organization and maybe across functional areas. We're a little more reluctant to think about, you know, the knowledge that exists outside and with other partners or sources that we might have. And so really Building out, you know, like designing and like an architect in agile organization, you really want to have a culture that promotes entrepreneurship, innovation, and collaboration. You know, and artificial intelligence can be just a great way to um, maybe help out with some of the repetitive tasks. So that actors or members can pay more attention to the relational and the creative elements you know, the the stuff that we we like to be doing, because there's a lot of efficiencies in some of that. It can enhance some of our capabilities and capacity for that.
2: Yeah. Fascinating stuff, uh, to be sure. Yeah, you know, and, and I would direct our listeners, and we'll put a, a link in our show notes to Denison Consulting site. There's a lot of great uh, literature and case studies in papers available to our listeners. But, you know, one of the things with with large-scale organizational change is just the awareness of the impact that culture has on large-scale change, and especially, I would say, ERP organizational change. And I, I often think, you know, when we go into our projects that sometimes organizational culture can be a buzzword and you hear people say it and they talk about it and it sounds nice, you know, but sometimes you just got to get down, as i mentioned earlier, to the brass tacks, right? You've really got to understand what is organizational culture? What does it mean? What does it look like? What are some of the key attributes that really drive that productive workplace and organizational performance? And so, um, Megs, can you share with our listeners, is there a relationship between a positive culture and high-performing organizations? And how do we know? How do we know that? What's the proof and the pudding there?
0: Oh, you want to read the end of the book. Yeah, I mean, Dan's whole work and really, you know, Dan was also back in the 1970s. I don't don't think he'll mind that I bring that up. You know, the Peters and Waterman idea of this in search of excellence, you know, really trying to find what's the secret sauce and what makes organizations excellent was Peters and Waterman's. Dan's was, is there a way we can identify cultural traits of an organization and, and connect or correlate those to being a successful or a high-performing organization? And that's the whole foundation of his work. So we started out, it's qualitative case studies, you know, looking at a range. At the time, he was working at uh, the Social Institute in Research in Michigan, and he just had access to macro databases. And yeah, he was able to find there were direct uh, links between culture and performance. And so the model that he developed with these four cultural traits are ways in which you can actually measure those connections between how an organization is aligned and the degree to which their performance indices. I think, additionally, with these key organizational performance metrics, the research has shown there's some specific connections. So, for example, let's say the organization's strategy. they you know part of their growth is around innovation. So, having a culture that uh, reflects more flexibility versus stability. Those are the dynamic tensions in any organization that are out there. So um, having, you know, more indications around being able to be customer focused, creating change, having a team orientation, you know, empowering. And uh, so along with flexibility, being externally oriented, there's direct correlation. If you have those cultural traits, you have a higher probability of achieving this idea of innovation. Now, for other organizations, being high performing for them might be a high employee satisfaction and low employee turnover. So it's a different type of organization. Let's say it's just you know a healthcare organization. They want to retain their top talent. That's one of the pain points right now CEOs have. They want to keep top talent and keep their employees satisfied and keep their talent development. So the cultural traits for that type of organization, you know, healthcare is a little bit more of a stable industry and you want to be risk averse. You want to have low medical error. You want to have low turnover rates. And so some of their cultural traits, they're going to be a little more emphasized on stability and a little more internally oriented. So cultural traits that look at ideas around empowerment Capability development, as well as having alignment around some of those core values. So part of it, Jack, it it depends, you know, what's the measure for that organization on being high performing, you know, if their high performance is around ROA, that's slightly different than, you know, being high performing around innovation.
2: Yeah. You know, part of the model that you're referring to, of course, is the Denison model. And it looks at those four key categories, right? I think adaptability, mission, involvement, and consistency. And you'd mentioned uh, 12 attributes. And just to share with our listeners really quick, not all of them, but for example, that would be like organizational learning, creating change, team orientation. You know, some of the things we talked about on this call so far, you know, agreement, coordination and integration, goals and objectives strategic uh, direction and intent, which we talked about a little bit. So those are all very much key attributes and components of any organizational culture. And I think that the degree to which any of those have an impact within an organization, it, it kind of varies in amplitude, right? So, you know, so clearly every organization has those various attributes, but the amplitude in which those are active, let's say, can vary drastically. And I think that there's plenty of research, and certainly with uh, Dr. Dennison and your team and the Dennison consulting team, that shows that there's a pretty clear correlation between those attributes and organizational performance. Is that all fair statement, if I were to distill it down to that summary? <laughs>
0: Oh, Jack, you're making Dan's heart go pitter-patter. Yes. (laughs) And and, you know, I can tell
2: you, Megs, just from experience, you know, obviously uh, being a big fan of the Denison model and in our work at Nestle & Associates, you know, just anecdotally, there's no doubt about it that the degree in which the amplitude of each of those attributes are higher. The ERP organizational change effort has been not perfect, uh, you know, there's no such thing, uh, but it's certainly been more effective and more efficient when organizations, uh, let's say, score higher in those different areas.
0: Yeah, I was thinking too, you know, Jack, because we both have this passion around how can we help organizations with their change efforts and with their strategy, and, you know, and I think particularly with ERP organizations, that can be really complex and challenging. And so, Some other things we haven't really talked about, but I'm sure the audience is aware of now there's this idea of resistance to change. And resistance to change isn't always necessarily a negative thing. There's this idea of ambivalence to change, ambivalence meaning just not understanding it. There's different levels of ambivalence, like an emotional level, behavioral and an intentional. And I think really being aware of that early on. And again, it's just I think as change leaders, that's where we can really help other organizations navigate that, you know, you don't, that's a blind spot, I think, for a lot of organizations as they're trying to implement change in an ERP. You know, we've talked already about this cultural shifts, you know, usually roles and runs, responsibilities and workflows, decision making, that's all changing, you know, obviously, there's some training, you know, and skills gaps, mm-hmm. you know, with the, the ERP, it's slightly different skills, and how you're just thinking about the change management process, and making sure that it's vital. You want to minimize disruption, you know, and try and, uh, you know, they talk about managing resistance or just being aware of it. So we shouldn't underestimate the complexity of the change management, having a change management strategy where you communicate stakeholder engagement, super, super key communication, 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 but it's also about understanding and sense making. And I think that's, that would be, Jack, one of the other things that we sometimes see that's, again, it's there's the communication out, but there isn't the time needed to, so do individuals really understand how this change is or is not impacting how they go about their work? Are they able to make sense or understand that? And So that sense-making piece is, is uh, an important part to the change management process. Yeah
2: absolutely yeah we're just barely scratching the surface here but you know change management and definitely resistance to change which by the way I, I've always seen that as a very powerful tool I don't see that as necessarily a negative thing I think yeah. it's a very very productive and and it can be a very productive and positive tool you know when you see that and and often it can bring um, you know new insights to the project uh, certainly okay Meg's I really appreciate your time, but before I let you go, I, I do want to ask you one more question here. I think it's been a fun conversation, You know, and clearly we just kind of hit some of the highlights just to share with our listeners some of these ideas around organizational culture and, and some of the attributes and its relationship to uh, high-performing teams and organizational performance. But before we wrap up this insightful conversation, I'd like to ask you for your golden nugget um, given all that we've discussed today, could you briefly summarize the key takeaways our listeners should remember? And based on these insights, what is the single most valuable piece of advice you would offer our listeners as they navigate through their own journey in organizational transformation? So I'm going to put you on the spot looking for your golden nugget.
0: Well, gosh, you know, the golden nuggets is the Nestel Associates. They're an ERP organization and they have the strengths and attributes to so partner with them, right?
2: <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs>
0: Yeah, uh, I think, um, you know, if there were three suggestions or recommendations that I'd have for change leaders to be thinking about, you know, first would be right up front, think about one year, two year, three years, whatever that time horizon is, if this change or if this strategy, you know, were to come into fruition, what's our measure for success? What does that look like? You know, just spelling that out, being real explicit on what you're trying to do and what you know, you know, that impact's going to be, you know, we're going to increase our customer satisfaction by 10%. Make those declarations early on and then have, you know, a playbook for getting there and some sort of tracking or milestones. That would be my number one. You know, number two was, again, the change management process that we were just talking about, Jack. You know, it's just, it's messy. You just, you got to be attentive to that. Uh, You know, embracing, you know, ambivalence to, to change. Embrace naysayers. I want the naysayers, especially up front what are we forgetting what are we missing what's our blind spots you you really do want to encourage that so that would be the change management process system just having that in and and then i think number 3 is really rethinking how you are whether you're call it your customer ecosystem your learning ecosystem but this outside in inside out you know really thinking differently about the distribution of knowledge and advising and resources stronger with collective knowledge and taking different ways to look at how you can enhance your own performance through leveraging neat and interesting advisors in and outside and around the organization. So those would be my three, Jack.
2: Well, that's, uh, that's great advice. Thank you very much for that well as promised this wraps up another insightful episode we've explored organizational transformation we've discussed clarity and alignment we explored celebrating team members innovation collective knowledge effective change management uh, leveraging resources strategies for boosting high performance teams and the importance of aligning strategy execution and I would add I, I think one of the key takeaways for me again is there's a lot you can do about organizational culture it's much more than a buzzword and once you understand and you have the knowledge of these various attributes that make up a culture then if you're very deliberate and intentional and what you think about and how you value culture then you can do things about it you can change your culture you can address some of the attributes that we've explored today and be very tactical and there's lots of things and we didn't even get to this mags as far as you know some of the tactical items in the toolbox that you can do in a very actionable way to help create uh, more cohesiveness, for example. And you know, there's things you can do to allow a certain level of managed risk, which is another attribute of an organizational culture is being able to accept and manage a certain level of risk in, in meaningful ways so, you know, great conversation. And, and so take this idea of organizational culture, understand what it is, be meaningful and deliberate about how you think about it and what you do about it, and then take action. Open up that toolbox and, and start implementing some of these various methods of improving those different areas of your organizational culture. So I encourage all of our listeners to take these insights and implement them in their organizations. And whether it's nurturing a customer-centric culture or energizing the innovation funnel, every step can move the needle forward. Thank you very much for your time today, Megs. I appreciate it. We truly appreciate your dedication to the trade. We appreciate your team and Dennis and consulting and uh, what you do for this practice, for this area, for this field. But before we go, please tell our listeners how they can get in touch with you.
0: Sure. Um, I'm... I'm on LinkedIn, like many of us are, and I love seeing uh, when others share. So Margaret Gorman, you can reach me out there, um, or you can reach me at Denison. It's mgorman at denisonculture.com.
2: Awesome. Thank you. And we'll definitely include your uh, your contact information in our show notes as well. Well, Megs, uh, thank you again. I really appreciate your time. Be well, and we'll talk soon.
0: Great. Thanks, Steve. We'll maybe see you up at Skynalos Lake sometime.
1: Yeah, you never know. That's very possible. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of the ERP OCJ podcast. This podcast is intended as a forum to study, share, and discuss ERP organizational change successes and challenges. We discuss the people, process, and technological components of ERP organizational change by drawing on knowledge from extensive research, collaborative learning, and practitioner expertise and experience. We are incredibly grateful to have friends, colleagues, and mentors join us in our podcast as we seek to promote, connect, and foster relationships in the ERP organizational change community and contribute to its success by bringing research and practice closer together. We want to make sure this is the most useful and insightful ERP podcast you listen to, and we'd love your help in doing so by leaving us feedback and a review a great place to do so is at Apple Podcasts. Just click on the Listen in Apple Podcasts link, then click Ratings and Reviews, and let us know your thoughts. You can get more info about the show, including show notes and episode highlights for this and all of our episodes by visiting nestleandassociates.com and clicking the podcast option. Please join us again next week as we discuss the latest ERP organizational change research, practice, and stories. And don't forget to follow us on social media, hashtag the ERPOCJ. Thanks again for listening. Have a fantastic week.